Welcome to episode 217 of Live Happy Now. This is your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us again today. You've heard the phrase, you're not getting older, you're getting better. But how often do you believe that? Well, after hearing today's guest, you're going to see aging in a whole new way. Dr. Louise Aronson is a geriatrician, writer, and professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. Her new book, Elderhood, Redefining Aging, Transforming Medicine, Reimagining Life, gives us a completely new perspective on aging. Let's listen as she explains how changing our attitude toward aging can transform the path we're all on. Louise, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited to talk about this topic. I'm excited, too. You know, your book gives us a lot to think about in terms of aging. So I think for myself, as I was reading it and getting through it, I think we really want to know what inspired you to write it, because it is a huge subject. It is a huge subject, and I guess that's part of why I wrote it. I mean, you see lots of books about childhood and adulthood, this sort of period in human history where in an unprecedented way, more of us are living decades in elderhood. I mean, really longer than we spend in childhood. And for some of us, as long as we spend in adulthood, you just don't really hear about elderhood in the same way. You hear about old age or silver tsunamis. You hear little bits, but it's not all pulled together in a way that gives it the same respect and attention that earlier phases of life do. And so I just thought I would uh, try and do that, which admittedly is like a crazy thing to have tried to do, but somehow, (laughs) somehow in the end it worked. Although there was a long time where I thought this is insane. Why am I trying to do this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, you did an excellent job. I mean, this is a tome. This is so insightful and there's so many layers to it. It's really not the kind of book you can just sit down and give a cursory read and be like, all right, I've mastered this. Um, so it really has, uh, like I said, it just is so much to digest. And when you talk about elderhood, can you clarify what exactly you mean by that? Ah, so elderhood as sort of an equivalent to childhood and adulthood. So I'm not the first to have done this, but thinking about life as having three major stages. You have the childhood stage where you're basically developing from a little tiny infant into an adult. And then you have adulthood where you start really young and you end up at, you know, having often people have families, they have the main parts of their careers. And then it used to be that most people died. Actually, most people died in childhood or adulthood. But now actually the vast majority of us then enter this third phase, which has always existed, just not in such numbers. And that's elderhood. And, you know, it pretty much seems to start somewhere between the ages of 60 and 70, which is a shock to many people because they think of old as that (laughs) thing that happens to you right before you die in advanced old age. And Um, it happens to someone else, right? (laughs) Not Totally. Yes. No, it's hysterical. If you line a bunch of people up and then another bunch of people to look at them, they'll easily identify who is old, but they won't identify themselves that way, even if the people they're calling older younger than they are. So, um, (laughs) but this is something we've done to ourselves, right? I start the book with this, this talk about the words old and elder. So elder is like respect and wisdom and power and all this sort of stuff. And old is just bad and wrinkled and sad. And they actually mean the exact same thing. So all the badness about old, a lot of it, we're putting on that ourselves. 
And in some ways that's tragic. And in other ways it's good because it means now that elderhood and old age last decades, we can start seeing it in new ways. I mean, childhood didn't really exist until the late 1800s and adolescence didn't exist until like 50, 70 years ago. So Elderhood is just like the next frontier for human beings. What are the substages? How long do we live in it? How do we make the best of it? It's a very exciting time. But we tend to not think of it as an exciting time as we are approaching it. Now, I know people who are in those later phases of life who are having a blast. I was talking to an 87-year-old woman last week who she was like, honey, I look good. I feel good. I'm like, you go. <laughs> but, but as we're approaching that, it's like, oh, my God, no, don't push me into that category. So, you know, most of us, I don't think we're excited about the idea of entering elderhood. So how do we start changing that perception? Well, I think that's why I wrote the book now, because although... I'm a geriatrician. <laughs> I really think that when I decided to work with old people, it was sort of like deciding to work with people in some country that I could visit, but I would never actually be like <laughs> of that country. I don't know what I was thinking. Like if you had told me this, I would have said no, no, no. But clearly that's what I was thinking because I'm in my 50s now. And as things began to change, I was like, oh, wait, you mean me? <laughs> um, and I started making all those comments that we all make, particularly around my 20-something-year-old medical students that I work with. And I realized, wow, this is how it begins and this is how we make it bad. Because even as my body disappoints, you know, in various ways from appearance to function, most of my life is so much better. And it's so much better in part because, you know, I'm a lucky person, obviously, in society. I have a good job and a house and all those things. But it's also be better because I don't worry as much about making a certain sort of impression or achieving certain sorts of things. I worry about what really has meaning to me. And this has been found across people, except for the most impoverished, that you get a better sense of yourself and what matters and you make better choices and you feel better about yourself and your life. And yet people don't believe it. So there's a great journalist called Judy Graham who covers aging for Kaiser Health News. And she had an article about a month ago about how older people, 70s, 80s, etc., rating their health as really quite good. The majority of them do. And people look at them and they're like, what are you kidding? And they said, <laughs> she said the first comments on her Facebook page were like, denial, denial, denial. <laughs> but it's actually part of this thing where you look and you say, hey, this is pretty good. And you spend a lot more time appreciating what's good and what matters. And you waste a whole lot less energy on the stuff that's less good and doesn't really matter in the end. And that makes people happier. And that is really good to hear because I think a lot of us have this perception that, okay, you get old, you sit around, you talk about your aches and pains, you talk about how many times you went to the bathroom and that's what that life is, you know? And, and the reality is very different because as you've pointed out, we're living decades in elderhood and we're living fulfilling lives. We're not just sitting around waiting for a shuffleboard to start. You know, people are really being out there and being active. Right. In so many ways. But there are also substages of aging. I mean, some people are looking forward to shuffleboard and that's okay if that's what they like. Right. And I also right. think some people do discuss their aches and pains and things. But I think there are two reasons for that. 
One is that we've created a society that's basically built for childhood and adulthood. You know, so it's not welcoming to people, particularly as they get into the later stages of elderhood. Maybe there are stairs. Maybe you can't hear anything. Maybe everybody stares at you because they think you shouldn't be there. You know, so so then that limits the people's options artificially. It's not about their age. It's about the world we've created. And so that really makes their world smaller, what we call life space, really small and narrow. So we're sort of inflicting this thing on age and then blaming age for something that is a cultural choice because you can go to places where that choice has not been made and people are much happier and more engaged in a variety of ways. The second thing is we make fun of people for like talking about their aches and pains, but we don't make fun of adults for talking about how they spend much of their day. You know, like we have medicalized old age, so people spend time dealing with it. But you know, people in my age group in adulthood, we talk about our jobs a lot because we spend a lot of time doing it. <laughs> kids talk about school a lot. We don't make fun of adults for talking about work or kids for talking about school. And, you know, in old age, some of it is, has to do with health. Why are people not allowed to talk about the thing that is happening in their days? Like they get ridiculed, but we're not going to ridicule a kid for telling you what happened at fifth grade. I just feel like there, there are ways in which we set ourselves up to be ridiculed and, and to be um, just treated unfairly as we age, and we could just decide not to. That is a really great insight, and I think it's probably very interesting for a lot of our listeners because many of them are at a stage where they're probably dealing with aging parents and at the same mm-hmm. time knowing, like, we're marching down that same path behind them. <laughs> right. So. How do we then start recognizing that, recognizing how we view aging and start changing that? Well, I figured unless I was going to be the world's greatest hypocrite, I had to start doing it myself in order to write this book. (laughs) So I started catching myself when I would make those little comments about aging or, you know, the students going running, oh, oh, I can't do that anymore. And I always temper it by saying something that's much better about my life now. And that refrain has kind of gotten into my head where I realize, yeah, this is good. And they begin to see it differently too. Like they'll literally stop and look sometimes like, oh, but this is so much better because they never hear that. And so I want them to know that like, if we're running down the block, they're going to get there first. No question. (laughs) But in so many other things, I have them beat and that's fine because they're going to get there too. So part of it is changing the message inside your head. And this is all the more important because there's a researcher at Yale, and I talk about this in the book, who's looked at people who have positive attitudes about aging and people with negative attitudes. And the people with the more negative attitudes, when they get sick, recover less well. They get heart disease seven years earlier. They're more likely to have Alzheimer's markers in their uh, spinal fluid, all kinds of bad things. It's almost like it's self-fulfilling. And some of that, we don't totally know why, but there are mechanisms you can imagine, such as if you think life is worth living, if you think elderhood is good and offers you opportunities, you're probably going to take better care of yourself. And you're going to say like, wow, I can't do that anymore. You're not going to say, oh, I'm old. I'm going to stop doing it. You're going to say like, can I do that differently? Do I need to go get some help so I can keep doing that? You're going to be more proactive. So I think that makes a big difference. There are so many ways we can help ourselves with attitude and also planning for the future. The happiest people throughout all stages of elderhood are ones who continue to have goals and purpose. And those can be big or small, but it's when you wake up in the morning and you think, today I'm doing something, and that's meaningful to you, and then you get up and you go after it. 
And how important is that for us to develop those habits now? Because I don't think you want to wake up when you're 80 and say, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to start having purpose. I think I'm going to start setting goals, you know? (laughs) So how do people any stage in life kind of start setting up their life for that type of elderhood? Oh, that's such a good question. I think first is to really notice what you really enjoy. You know, there are the things we tell ourselves we like or that are important. And then there are the things like students, I'll often call it the Saturday morning test. Like, let's say you wake up at five on a Saturday morning, which of course they stare at me in horror. But anyway, I actually like to do that. <laughs> oh, um, do you? <laughs> so, um, you know, and the, the family or whoever you live with is asleep. And what is it you really want to be doing? So something that just makes you happy, even if other people looking at it might think it was work. And that could be, you know, chopping the logs outside. It could be writing a book in my case, you know, it could be any number of things and think about those happy things and how those can be built into your goals. Start adding it to your life in in some of what's your free time so that your whole identity isn't your job or a family that might grow up and move away or something like that. (laughs) really starting early because here's the thing. It's not just about being 80. It's about being 62. A study last year showed that men who retire at 62 are much more likely to die in the next year. And the theory is the stress of lack of purpose and identity. So knowing who you are and what's next on your agenda is so important. And how do you do that If you are very tied up in your job, because many people at this stage in life are, you know, as you mentioned, we do talk about our work a lot and, (laughs) and we're in a society where work is very much emphasized. So how do we start pursuing things beyond that to know that we've got a bigger picture than who our job is? Yeah, I think a few things. One is notice what you like best about the job because all jobs have good parts and bad parts. Um, And maybe it's not the job in particular. Maybe the thing you like best about the job is interacting with other people. Or maybe the thing you like best is not interacting with anyone that time where you're all, you know, like it just depends on who you are. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're all different, right? So finding out something and then starting to look around to see what other opportunities there are. And these can be jobs as we traditionally define them, um, which is, you know, paid work, et cetera. But it can also be, I mean, People in their 70s are one of the fastest growing segments of entrepreneurs, and they are the fastest growing segment of the workforce. And that's going in in different ways. Like people who are social are, you know, driving airport shuttles and they make a little extra money or a ride share and they get to talk to a different person every half an hour. And if you're a people person, that's a great option. Or you volunteer somewhere where you're doing good, but you're also interacting. And if you're not a people person, you could be fixing something or making something. There's so many different options, but noticing what you like best and then maybe trying to find some time to do it. And then even if you really don't have the capacity for that, then when you retire, at least set up a plan for going to investigate things. Like you think you might like to work with kids, find all the people who are doing anything with kids in your region and go after it. You want to work with computers, same thing. And just have a plan where every week you're exploring a few different things. And then maybe something you've never done before, like, oh, I never went hiking or I never, you know, I don't know, something wild and crazy and just do it. But but have a plan and have a schedule and put it on the calendar and then follow through. Yeah, because we plan for our retirement financially. Mm-hmm. You know, we make sure we've invested in that, but I don't think we necessarily plan for it emotionally or mentally. 
and that we're really prepared for what that phase of life is going to be like for us. Yeah. And people often find themselves in a big vacuum. Now, some people love that. I actually have several friends in their early 60s whose husbands retired a couple of years ago. And one spent a year reading math textbooks, which apparently made him very happy, although the rest of us could understand that. Another <laughs> one just like walked around, made meals and saw every movie that ever was. And his wife thought, my God, where is my husband gone, but then he reappeared at about month 14, you know, so there are a variety of different ways. And sometimes people just need to decompress before they can figure out what they're doing. But notice how each of those guys knew what they wanted. One wanted to be outdoors and he wanted to use his hands instead of his brain for work. And he wanted to see all the movies that he'd missed. And another one just loved math and hadn't let himself do that in his adult life. And so went crazy. So it can take any form, um, but it kind of reconstitutes you. And then you look up and you say, and now what for me? What's my next phase? Because if you're in your 60s or 70s, chances are you're going to live decades longer. And you need some purpose in that to make those years meaningful. They're as meaningful as you make them. And to some extent, you know, how your health lets them be. But it's also true that people who are more engaged stay healthier longer and active longer. So it's reciprocal in both directions. And it, it feels like Things are really changing right now. Your book being one of the indicators of that change because we are addressing it. Like, I don't think there's really been a clear cut path like, hey, this is a new form of aging. This is a new world for us. And I think there's a lot of people that we're out in this frontier going like, I don't, I don't know what we're supposed to do. We're going to live forever. <laughs> you know, what do we do with all this time? Some people want to live forever, but so far you know, mortality is holding steady at 100%. So I don't <laughs> yeah. think we should be planning for that yet. But we should be planning for decades. And, and we also need a language for it. Like, think about the first 18 years of life. You've got neonate, infant, toddler, you know, young kid, kid, tween, teen, young adult, and then you're like 18 years old. Meanwhile, you turn 65 and it's like old and that holds until you're yeah. 115. That's just not helpful. So we need to really think about what are these different substages and, and how also is elderhood different from other phases? Like in elderhood, you can actually sort of age or develop backwards. So somebody can get sick or, you know, need chemo or maybe get depressed after retiring and seem more frail or less able to do things. And then they get better. And they seem, you know, what we might call quote unquote younger, but it's really just more vibrant and engaged. And at other ages, you can't really move both directions. So there are ways in which elderhood is unique and special, and we need to explore that and then also set ourselves up as a society and as individuals to really thrive because each family, like as they come to sort of the crisis point of advanced old age and care, every family suffers alone, even though it's a universal problem. And we don't tend to do that for other phases of life. It's completely unnecessary suffering. You know, there are the parts that come with being alive and then there are the parts that we do with bad policies and communities not doing as much as they could. And I think aging is unique in the sense that every other phase of our life, like as you're a child, well, when are you going to start school? When are you going to start yeah. driving? When are you going to go to college? You know, you have all these milestones. And once you hit retirement, we kind of start losing those. And what role does that play in our, I mean, we've kind of always got this carrot, like, oh, this is the next thing I'm going to. And then all of a sudden there's no carrot. <laughs> how, how does that affect us? 
right? Well, I think, you know, it depresses a lot of people, but I also think there might be some unrecognized carrots and then there might be some sort of existential work that would make everybody feel better. So in terms of unrecognized carrots, I have rarely met a person that doesn't absolutely fundamentally love being a grandparent in a way that they have never loved another role. So being a grandparent, and you know, you're a different grandparent for each grandkid you have. Now, not everybody is going to have that experience, but that's a pretty wonderful thing to look forward to. There are also all these encore careers or volunteer opportunities or art opportunities or physical opportunities with this sense of how much we can do with our bodies in old age. There are some people getting fit for the first time in their lives in their 70s or 80s and just learning and growing, you know, people learning to use instruments. We say you can't do that, but actually you can. It's a matter of deciding to. So what is it you've never had time to do because you were busy having a job or raising a family or all the other things you were doing that you now get to do? That's a carrot. Is there a different career where, you know, you get to go in at 10 and you leave at three? I mean, that's pretty nice, you know. <laughs> is there a way that you're you're going to stand out in your local community? Like there are people near where I live. There are all these sort of staircases with planting around and they make them look absolutely gorgeous. It starts looking one way and, and they can just walk down the street every day and see the fruits of their labor and see the rest of us pleased by it. I mean, there's so many things big and small. And then as things get harder, there are milestones and they're not necessarily happy ones, but they're important ones. Like, where are you going to live when you need more help? Who's going to be part of that? How do you want to live at the very end of your life and how do you want to die? And those aren't as exciting necessarily as I'm not <laughs> pretending they are. It's like planning your wedding or whatever, but they're at least as important. We all die, right? So the only way you get an ending that is what you want and of your best chances of avoiding those things you don't want is really by planning and by involving others. And if we just talked about it more normally, and really let people plan and discuss and be clear about what they want and don't want, it would be less scary. And this has been proven in communities where people have these conversations. There's a place in Wisconsin, there's a place in Colorado, there are other countries that do this very well. People have much better endings of their lives, you know, meaningful, family rich, relatively pain free, all those things, endings, and, and you're going to die either way. So why not have that be something to work towards doing well also and having control over? I really think we're at this pivot point as a society. And the more we can all embrace it and own it and say, like, I get a lot of pushback from you. Like, I'm 78, but I'm not old. I'm like, yes, you are old. And if being 78 is great for you, then being old is great. Let's talk about that. Let's not deny, you know, if we make old bad, then old is bad. Whereas if we just make old a stage of life, like young, like middle-aged, then it can be all the things it is, which is sometimes totally wonderful and sometimes really hard. And that's the same for all stages of life. What is the thing that we can do better to really set ourselves up for a happy, healthy elderhood? Realize that it could be the best time of your life and plan like you expect it to be. That was Louise Aronson talking to us about how we can enjoy a happier elderhood. If you'd like to learn more about Louise and her book, Elderhood, Redefining Aging, Transforming Medicine, Reimagining Life, Please visit us at livehappynow.com and we'll tell you where you can learn more about Louise, her book, and the work she's doing. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. 
That's all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.